weeks or well, months ago, and we started putting it together. And in the middle of that, we had the tragedy, of the crisis in America that began to happen a few weeks ago with the killing of, you know, everybody, white, black, and cops and whatever. And we decided to do, to break into that and do a series about crisis in America and cultural differences. So we did three Sundays for that. So now we return back uh, to you asked for it. But uh, as PJ's leaving the stage, let's give him a hand for stepping up today. I want to tell you all something. Let me just take just a moment here to say how proud I am of our people that serve. We ask God to help us with, uh, you know, brass, and God sent decks along. And uh, a while back, we asked for guitar players, and God sent Matt along and, and Mike and different ones. And I'm so grateful that we've got all these people and the tech guys. Amen. You just don't know what goes behind the scenes for the study of all of this. These guys and ladies have put hours in to learn songs, to learn chords, to find riffs and runs and all of those things that are going to make this experience great on Sunday. Amen? And, um, and then just a few months ago, we changed all of our technology in the back and went to another uh, digital board and we challenged all of those guys to relearn that board. And so we've learned and struggled together, but we're doing good. I mean, good. Amen? And, and not only that, but the camera side and the... The media, it, there is a lot. Matter of fact, the worship and arts team consists of 53 volunteers. Did you know that? 53. You only saw, what, I don't know, 12 or 15 this morning, but there's 53 in that group, and it, it's, we're adding to it um, every month. And so uh, my hat's off. Give them one more big hand, would you? <clears throat> so the title of the message today, I want to talk about does my sin affect just only me? In other words, when I sin, is it just on me uh, or does it bother somebody else? Now, I want to use a real graphic illustration. I've been called insane uh, because it sort of hit, plays off my last name, Sames. Um, but I have done some insane things in my life. <clears throat> so here's an insane illustration. How many of you got a dog? Huh? I'm going to just go out the gate. Has he ever pooped in the house? Yep. And some of y'all say, Man, look, see who's lifting their hands up. Have you ever walked outside and maybe you was in your new shoes or worse, barefooted, and found the place where they went to the bathroom? And I'm not talking about number one. Are you with me? And all of a sudden, squish right between your toes and you, ah! and you sort of hobble over to the water hose and try to turn it on and I want that, the poop, to represent sin this morning in my message. Now, what do you think about this? First of all, if I stir it up like that and come walking in here, can everybody else smell it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does everybody else wish I would get it off of me? Yes. I know you've at some point traveled through your yard and got in the car and got on your way to work and realized, man, what is that smell? And you took your foot off the gas and said, oh, my Lord. And the thing you need to do is get it off of you. But you're in the middle of traffic and you've got to deal with it, right? And what's worse is your air conditioner's out and it's hot in there. And, man, it is foul. I mean, you are stanking up. Y'all with me? So, um, so 
that represents sin for us today. The thing about it is, is I don't know about y'all, but if I step in it, the first thing I want to do is get it off of me. I don't want to go to lunch and have a steak and, you know, drink a milkshake. No, the first thing I want to do is get this off of me. And, and you know, and if, I, if I'm playing ball in the yard and I happen to slide down and it gets on my pants, first thing I got to do is get this off of me. And we ought to have that same attitude about sin if we find ourselves involved in it, if we find ourselves that we've done something that we shouldn't do, we've said something we shouldn't say, we went something we, uh, somewhere we shouldn't be, we've watched something that we shouldn't, whatever it is, uh, it begins to stink. And does it affect anybody else? Absolutely. Everybody else can smell it. Are you with me? Everybody else can see it all over you like, man, I wish you'd wipe that dookie off of him. Got your attention, don't I? Yeah. I wish he would get himself cleaned up. Now, I'm not saying there's things that you can't do that nobody knows about, and it is between you and God. Here's what I want you to understand about the message today. Does my sin affect more than just only me? And the quick answer to that is yes, but then there is another side of that that says um, something a little bit different. It's more complex than just a quick yes. And here's, in a nutshell, is my sin will affect other people. However, those other people are not eternally accountable for what I do. In other words, if I step in it, you're going to smell it. Yeah. And if it is sin, I'm going to be judged for it, even though you smelt it and you had to deal with it in class because I stepped in it on the way to college. All day you think, I wish he would go change his shoes or do something and it's really bothered you, but you don't have to give an account for it. I do. Whatever that sin may be, uh, but I think God's people should live in this attitude. No matter, I don't think it, I know it, that if we find ourselves having done something that we should not do, that we would immediately try to wash it off. How can we? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So it is upon us once we realize we have done something and we have stepped into something or rolled into something that, that we've got to get it off of us. And the only way we can get it off of us is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I remember my dad, um, he was um, a disciplinarian. And I had some, I was a rowdy kid. And I had some rowdy cousins. My mom never did want us to spend a night together because she said there's one thing in common when Mike and Robert or Mike and Kenneth get together, and that is the cops are coming to the house. You can almost guarantee it. And so that would be her little deal, you know. You can come over tonight and spend the night, but if y'all get in trouble, this is going to be the last time. I don't know how many times that happened, but the cops came a few times. I mean, we'd always get in trouble. I mean, we just always get in trouble. And um, we were just doing some bad things. Now, there were times that I was completely innocent. Are you with me? Say amen. But my reputation preceded me to the point that Daddy was already convinced I was guilty anyway. So he was unwinding that long leather belt. Now, my Daddy was a big old man. He, he weighed three plus. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so he would say to me, I'm not interested in what Kenneth did. I'm not interested in what Robert did. I'm interested in what you did. 
And he says, you are the one that's got to answer to me. So I just want to tell you that there is a difference in someone else's sin affecting me and me having to be accountable for it. So I want us to consider something right now. Some of the punishment meted out for a person might affect me. Like, for instance, if, um, if a father decides that he's going to just drink and gamble all the time, uh, you're going to say, well, is drinking a sin? Well, let me just tell you like this. The Bible isn't going to say drinking is a sin. It is going, and some of y'all say, well, uh, I could have a social drink and I'm all good. And you might be able to. I'm not even going to start down the slippery slope. Um, I got a friend of mine right now who pastors uh, 40,000 people, or he did pastor 40,000 people until three weeks ago when the board removed him. You know what? His position was, I can social drink and everything's okay. And, and that was his position. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm simply saying drunkenness, according to the Word of God, is an absolute sin. Hello? It is. It is an absolute sin. And, and, and again, I wish I, I'm not here prepared to try to preach that, but I'm going to tell you, no good thing has come from it. But I, I, that's another message, another place, and, um, but we'll share it. But what I'm simply saying is this. His testimony, you can see it on Facebook right now. He said to the people, I began to trust in alcohol and depend upon that more than I did Jesus. The church did the right thing by releasing him. He did the right thing by accepting the punishment. He's in rehab right now. And you know what I did? I tweeted a message out to him. And I said, Perry, I want you to know that, uh, that I still love you. I want you to know that I brought my staff to your church. There's about 3,000 people there at the double conference. This was um, a few years ago. We wanted to double our congregation. I said, I want you to understand that though this has happened, God still used you greatly, and you poured into my staff, and we have indeed more than doubled right now. So get well and know that we are praying for you, and God is going to bring you back around. Now, I don't know about you. I like the idea that God will give somebody another chance. So... I want you to know this, that God punishes sin. There is no doubt about that. God, look at your neighbor and say, God punishes sin. Now, that's the part that you don't hear a lot of churches talking about anymore. Everything's okay, they say. But now look at your neighbor again and say that God also forgives sin. God forgives sin. So listen, uh, does, does someone fail your effect? Yes. I'll never forget. I, I remember when Jimmy Swaggart failed. How many of y'all remember Jimmy Swaggart? Jimmy Swaggart was the premier television evangelist before guys like Jakes or Rod Parsley uh, or, or the big guns now. He was before the internet and all of the, the media blitz the way it is now. He was the icon then. And I'll never forget, I was watching him, and, and man, I just... I used to love to hear his preaching and so on and so forth, and I had to go to the Coliseum in Columbus two or three times because my mother and my dad, I still have to tell my mom because she sent her money to him. I said, Mom, I, I pastor a 500-member church. You know, you can support your son. If you're watching tonight, Mom, I love you. But anyway, uh, but, but I'll never forget I was, at the, I was out on the base. I was an uh, aircraft mechanic in the Air Force. I was stationed at Moody, and all my brothers, you know, they... Uh, they, they, they call me Brother Sames, and, and they done that. Um, you know, it was comical, and it was funny because they were really trying to make light of me being a preacher. Uh, but, uh, you know, I took it in stride and all that. But I'll never forget when Jimmy Swaggart fell, 
And they found him with a prostitute. Oh, my Lord, I hated him go to work that day. Well, I got there, Brother Sains. Tell me about Brother Swagger. Huh? Who you got on the side? I mean, it goes on. You know why? Because the one, I mean, he failed. There's no doubt about it. He admitted that he failed. Now, and I'll never forget going into the break room with a Coca-Cola, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, if Jimmy hadn't made it, I ain't got a chance. You know why? I had seen the altar calls where thousands of people laid cigarette packs down and stood on them and God delivered them. I had seen where guys had been delivered from drugs and alcohol and all kinds of affairs. And I had seen his ministry and I'd watched his ministry so close and I thought to myself, man, if he didn't make it, I'm done. I didn't even try. And so it had a profound impact upon me. But here's what I do know. Listen, I, I am not accountable for his sin. And then I also know this. There's some bad preachers out there. That don't mean everybody is the same. Are you with me? There's some bad cops. They, you know, that don't mean they're all bad. As we said in our cultural difference, there's some bad black people. There's some bad white people. Some bad Indians and Asians. Are you with me? But we can't bunch everybody in the same group because of it. Now, um, I'll never forget when I was in boot camp, uh, we had a fellow, he was a genuine goofball. His name was Soto, S-O-T-O. That was his last name. We call everybody by their last name. And um, Soto, I mean, he was just backwards, man. If they said stand up, he sat down. If they said left, he went right. I mean, if, if, no matter what, he was just backwards. If they said it's time to put your cover on, he took his hat off. You know, that's just the way it was. And I'll never forget the cardinal rule uh, at, at Lackland Air Force Base. When I got there that night, I'll never forget tax day. Uh, it was April the 15th, 1985. And uh, I got there that night, and I'm wondering what in the world have I done. And we still, you know, we got our regular clothes on. They called us rainbows. And, you know, our hair was, my hair wasn't long, but it was a whole lot longer than it was in two days from then. But nonetheless, and... They gave us some, uh, you know, a chain that went around your neck, had some keys, and then eventually dog tags and all that. And I'll never forget, Staff Sergeant Larry D. Kirkpatrick, I'll never forget in the longest day I live, he, he says, whatever you do, you will never, and let me repeat, never take that chain off your neck until you leave Lackland Air Force Base. That was a cardinal rule, man. You better not, you don't break that. Now, your footlocker was way down here, so you had to kneel down like this, to get the chain to reach it to unlock it. So it's a little lesson in humility, but you know old Soto. Now that drill sergeant walked around with taps on his boots. I mean, you could hear them coming, you know, uh, and that was kind of a good thing for us because it gave you a little bit of warning if it was coming around the corner or something. And they had that Smoky Bear hat on, and, and you know, they, they dressed, I mean, they were so sharp, man, the crease of their clothes would cut you, and they were, they were sharp. I'll never forget. I came in one day, and I was in bunk number 10. I'm right here, and I look across, and there's uh, old Soto, and he just whips his keys right off his neck, looks around. He don't see nobody, reaches down, and unlocks his footlocker, and about that time, I heard click, 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 click. Looked up, and there's Staff Sergeant Larry D. Kirkpatrick. And, man, here he comes walking down that middle aisle. Click, 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 click. Walked right on past Soto. Went right over here to a big old dude named Hoopman. He looked like Mike Wooten. I mean, he just blowed all up, big old arms. I mean, he's just bowed up here. He walked over there, and he cussed him for everything. I can't say what he said. It was bad. 
And he said, I want you to know every time Soto messes up, I'm going to have your whatever that is. And uh, he said, I'm going to create teamwork in this room, among this flight, if it kills all of you. And, but hey, let me tell you, I'm so glad that God ain't like Staff Sergeant Larry D. Kirkpatrick, amen, where he holds me accountable if Josh messes up. I understand trying to make teamwork about this thing, but I thank God. God says, I'm going to hold you accountable for what you do. So uh, anyway, I want to um, go in the Word of God to Ezekiel chapter number 18, and I want to start around verse number 5. And uh, we're going to find that Ezekiel's going to give us some examples, and I'm going I'm to shake some of your theology this morning, but... Um, he says to us, suppose there's a righteous man who does what is just and right, and he does not eat at the mountain shrines or, or look at the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or have sexual relationships with his wife during her period, or he does not oppress anyone, but he returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery. He gives his food to the hungry. He provides clothing for naked. He don't lend uh, at interest. Or, or take a profit from them. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between two parties. He follows my decrees and faithfully declares my laws. That man is righteous. And he shall surely live, declares the Lord. Well, then we move over and we find uh, in verse 10, suppose that man has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things uh, uh, does any of these other things, though the father has done none of them. In other words, the father was doing good. He said, but this violent son grew up and decided to do just the opposite of his daddy. He, he eats at mountain shrines. He defiles his neighbor's wife. He oppresses poor and needy people. He commits robbery. Uh, he don't uh, keep his word. He looks at idols. He does detestable things. He lends money at interest and takes profit. Shall this man live? No, he shall not. He is to be put to death. His blood will be on his own hand. Um, now, let me ask you this. Why should I live right if I know I'm going to die for daddy's sins anyway? What motivation would I have to live a good life, a clean life, a holy life, a righteous life? Why, why should I even try if my father done something so bad that I'm going to die for what he did anyway? Well, if that's the case, then, man, let's have three or four women. Let's get drunk every night. Why? Let's go to hell first class if we're going. I mean, if we're going to go, we might as well go first class. If we, if we can't go to heaven, might as well have fun going to hell. <laughs> you ain't going to hear that in church too much. I, just, I mean, it's just an observation. If we're not going to make it to heaven, and that's the only fun we're going to have, you better live it up now. So, but it, it's not that way. It's not that way. Uh, let, let me go a little bit further. So uh, it's important for us to know that God punishes sin so that we might live accordingly. Watch this. Uh, there's no need to live righteous or good if I know I'm going to die. But notice and be punished for it. Romans 14 and 12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Personal account. Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that we will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. That's good. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Did you get that? 
We must all stand before Christ to be judged, or the judgment seat of Christ. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. Okay, Ezekiel takes it another level. Watch this. He says, but suppose this son has a son who sees all the sins that his father commits. And though he sees those things, he don't do them. Verse, six, or, verse 16, he says, or 15, he does not eat at the mountain shrines. He does not look at the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone or require pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery. He gives his food to the hungry. He, all these things. He withholds his hand from mistreating the poor. He takes no interest or profit from them. He keeps my laws and follows my decree. He will not die for his father's sin, but he will live. But his father will die for his own sin because he practiced extortion and robbed his brother and did what was wrong among his people. So then Ezekiel poses a question. He says, yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. It is the one who sins that will die. Adam's not held accountable for what I do. Amen. Micah's not held accountable for what he does. We each stand before God on our own merit. Now, let, let me go again. If, if I do something wrong, dreadful, and sinful, yes, my sin could affect Kelly. It could affect my income. It, it could affect my standing in the community, and she would pay a price for that as well. But again, that's a temporal thing. But in eternity, I will stand before God for what I do, and she will and he will stand. Every one of us will give an account to God for ourselves, and you will not be punished eternally for something that I've done or anybody else. So, so what is it that I want you to do here? I want us to live knowing that we are going to give an account for our actions. I want us to live knowing that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And listen, we better have something better than, well, I thought that was okay. So here's the fourth example. But if wicked people turn away from their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All of their past sins will be forgotten, and they will uh, live because of the righteous things that they have done. Do you think that I like to see the wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. However, now I'm about to bust some of your theology up. Some of y'all be looking for another church tomorrow. Because there are those who feel like, well, I got saved when I was 12 and everything's all right and I can live like hell the rest of my life. And the Lord just says, come on in. I, listen, this is not my cause. I just want to read the Bible and, and you judge it. You take it for what it's worth. But it is my job to tell you what the truth is, to show you what the Word says, and then you take it if you like it but, uh, or not, but it ain't going to change it. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior, that means backsliding, and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten and they will die for their sins. I want to remind you what he said about the holy city, New Jerusalem. He said, no sin shall enter that city. He says, now listen, I'm talking about unrepentant sin. I'm talking about sin 
for which we have not asked God to cleanse us and forgive us. See, when we commit sin, uh, our heart becomes blackened with sin. It's the stain of sin, just like our illustration. It's the stench of sin. It stinks and it's affecting other people. But if we turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, would you wash me in your blood? Would you forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Lord, would you take this away from me? And we put our faith and our trust in him. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do I know that? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, I shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. But God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So listen, if you've sinned, guess what we've all sinned? But for someone to walk in unrepentance, to walk in a life of sin and feel like God's going to say, just come on in. He ain't going to do it. I hate to tell you that, but let me, let me help you. Um, let me take an illustration. You remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? There was a woman that, the Bible says she's caught in the very act. Do I need to be any more graphic than that? That's, they were at the business. Okay. So caught in the very act. I mean, so anyway, and the Bible says, Jesus was teaching at synagogue, so he's on the steps, if I understand it correctly, and he's teaching at the synagogue here, and people gathered around, and right in the middle of church, isn't that, that's the way the world is, and sometimes the church, I, I got the, the most pressing thought on my mind, and somebody wants to come right down the aisle and ask me something trivial, right in the middle of something God's got going on. So Jesus is teaching, he's right here, he's pouring out his heart, and here comes the religious leaders of the day. And they're dragging this woman down the aisle. And, the, you know, the crowd sort of parts ways, and they drop her right here at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Master or teacher, we caught her in the very act of adultery. Now, if it was in today's world, they would have had their iPhone out and said, I want you to see this. That's what they would have done. But it wasn't today. And... Um, he said, we caught her in the very act. Well, the first thing pops in my mind, where's the man? If she's committing adultery, you know, she was with him. So, but it, now they didn't worry about that because I want to tell you something. This woman that's thrown into a heap right here among the crowd and got Jesus on the spot, it wasn't about her at all. This was a ploy for them to get him. They said, we know the law. And the law of Moses says that she must be stoned. What do you say? Because they knew if he said, well, I'm a preacher of grace and I teach grace and I forgive, then they would say, well, you mean to tell me you reject the law of Moses? And they would have him. But then if he said, go stone her, Moses' law, she says he must be killed, they would say, but you're a preacher of grace. And how is this that you show no mercy? So either way, uh, he's in a bad spot. He's in a catch-22 situation. And that's what they wanted. It was about him and it was not about her. And Jesus just got off of the step. He knelt down and in the sand, he began to write. 
It's the only time the Bible ever said that he wrote, and nobody knows what he wrote. But they're all gathered around, and here's this woman right out here, and she's in a a heap of tears and hair strung everywhere, I'm sure, and he just begins to write. I don't know what it was he wrote, and but I got an idea. Because all of a sudden, while he's kneeling down and she's looking down, all of a sudden you hear the a stone falls over here, and then a stone falls over here, and all of a sudden a little bit of dust up, and the guy says, I'm out. Somebody drops this stone and these rocks and these pebbles, and I'm, I, man, I, I'm done. I'm out, and they leave. Now, I don't know what Jesus wrote down, but this is Mike's opinion. I think that he might have wrote something like this. Last Thursday night, Bill, you were in her bedroom. Your wife was at the house. I, I mean, I think he might have right now. Uh, John, you had a little too much to drink last Friday after work. And I don't know what he wrote. I'm just thinking, all of a sudden, they looked at that and, and began to see that. He said, oh, my God, he's starting to call people out. I got to go. Maybe some of their wives was in the crowd at church. And, Lord, before I stand here trying to kill somebody, let me get gone before he opens up some can of worms that I've got my hands into. Now, that's just conjecture on my part, but I believe it's reasonable. And then all of a sudden, the very last person walked away, and it's real quiet, and here's this woman, and she won't even look up. You know, she's just downcast. And Jesus said, woman, where are those thine accusers? And, you know, she's just down, and she just sort of eases around to look to see if there's any feet. And it's only him. And she says, Lord, I don't have no accusers. They've all walked away. And I want you to get what he said. He did not say, I approve of what you were doing an hour ago. He didn't say that I like what you were doing and they should have brought the man or, you know, you're going to pay for what you... He just simply said this. Woman, where are your accusers? No, I don't have none. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. At the feet of Jesus, she's able to get restitute or, or, or reconciliation. She's able to say uh, in repentance. She's able to, you know, uh, to, to ask him for forgiveness, if you will. And he says, I'm not approving of what you've done, but I'm not condemning you to hell over it. I'm saying go, be free, but don't keep doing this. That's the message of Jesus. I thank God that he looked at me and said, I'm not condemning you, but now go and do it no more. And you know what? If you fall into sin again, you've got to go back to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I play guitar, and these guys can tell you this. When you first start, you pick that thing up, and you look and say, oh, that's a pretty guitar. Can I play the guitar? And you, you, you grab it, and you learn your first chord. It's C. And, man, you start using these fingers, and in about 15 minutes... Man, you're saying, Whew, man, my fingers are hurting. And after you've done this, played an hour or two or trying to make that cord, they're tender and they're red, and I've even seen them bleed and get fevered. You put them against your cheek, and oh, it's hot. 
fingers just, I mean, they're sore and they hurt. Play again tomorrow. Play again the next day and then play next week. And in a couple of weeks, same fingers. They've just got calluses built up now. And it don't even hurt no more. And that's the way it is with some people and the sin that they've become accustomed to. What used to hurt them and broke their tender little heart. Their heart now has grown cold and calloused. And what used to be so sensitive, it's still sin. You just ain't convicted of it anymore. I'm going to try to tie this up. Yet you say the Lord isn't doing what is right. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one not doing what is right, or is it you? When righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, yes, they will die. They will die because of their sinful deeds. And if wicked people turn from their wickedness and obey the law, do what is just and right, they will save their lives. They will because they thought it over and decided to turn from their sins. Such people will not die, and yet the people of Israel keep saying, the Lord isn't doing what is right. O people of Israel, it is you who are not doing what is right. Not I. Therefore, I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Lord. Don't let them destroy you. Put all of your rebellion behind you. Find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Your sin will affect others, but they won't die for you. They will not be held accountable for you. I read in the Bible, he says this, you're going to reap what you sow. You can guarantee that. I don't care. Listen, it works in every aspect of life. Um, it could be money. If you sow into the kingdom of God, you're going to reap benefits. Um, the Bible says if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. If you sow bad things, you're going to reap bad things. That's just how it is. It is a law of reciprocity. It does happen. I think of David, a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord, but he fell into sin with Bathsheba. You remember that? He fell into lust, and, you know, he had this affair. He had her husband killed. Um, he'd done some terrible things. And uh, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet by his house one day told him this sad story of a man who'd come to town and he had all kind of lambs. He could have used any of his lambs, but he took, he went and got one man who had one ewe lamb and that, he's talking about Uriah whose wife was Bathsheba. In other words, he had that, that was one wife. That's all he had in this whole world was his precious wife. And he told this story, he said, the man that come to town could have had any lamb. He could have had any, but he chose this one. David passed all kind of judgment and said, this is what shall be done to such a man that has done that. Nathan looked him in the eye and said, you, David, you are the man. He, listen, you don't have time to read it here, but oh man, what a powerful thing. After that confrontation, he wrote Psalm 51. It's the greatest psalm of repentance recorded in history. He says, God against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Create a clean heart in me, Lord, and Remove not the Holy Spirit from me. He says, forgive me of this and I'll teach transgressors your ways. He begged the Lord to, to, to help him. Listen, others may be affected by your sin, but they're not accountable for it. In eternity, you're gonna, listen, you'll be judged by what you have done. I used to worry myself sick over, and some of you still do. I hear this all the time. People will say to me, Pastor, why is it that it seemed like the world just 
They're mean and they're evil and they get everything they want. If they, if they want a new Lexus, they're evil. They don't give God nothing and yet they're driving a brand new Lexus. It, it seems like they're, they're terrible and they, everything falls their way. They get the promotions. They get the jobs. And, and we look around and we say, well, man, I'm serving God. I'm serving on the praise team. I, I, I'm, you know, cutting grass. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And everything I got is falling apart. <laughs> Let me tell you this. You're not the only one ever thought that. In Psalm 37, David said this, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live in safety in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he'll help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm, for the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. When you get a chance, go ahead and read the rest of 37. It's incredible. But I want to tell you this. This is powerful. Don't worry about the evil one and how they seem to prosper. They're going to give an account for God. David said, I don't get it, though, Lord. I'm trying everything I can. And then it seemed like they always one-up me. He said, but I did not understand this until I went to the sanctuary and the Lord revealed to me that in this life they have their reward. But this life will soon be over. And you and I have a reward in that life. And it shall not be taken away. Stand with me if you will. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that we can come into your house, oh Lord, and learn of your word, learn of you. I'm glad to know, God, that I won't die for the sins of my father or my son or a neighbor, but I will give an account to God for what I do and me only. I also understand, Lord, that as a teacher, as a preacher, I will receive the heavier judgment because, Lord, you said we are to know better. You've entrusted us with souls. So, Lord, I have to be very careful, extremely careful. But I'm asking you, Lord, right now, if there's somebody here that's struggling, not over what somebody else has done because they can't help what somebody else has done, But, Lord, all I can deal with is what I've done. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Let me say this. The Bible said if the wicked man or woman abandons their wickedness and turns to the Lord, their wickedness will be remembered no more, but the good that they have done will be remembered. So what I'm saying is when we repent and we ask the Lord to forgive us, he says you can change course. 
You can reset this thing right now in the middle of life. On the other hand, if you've been serving the Lord all your life and decide, you know what, I'm done with church, I'm done with God, I'm done with the Word. And you decide, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And decide to do your own thing, guess what? Your righteousness shall be remembered no more and you will give an account in the day you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I choose today to abandon any wickedness and I choose to live a life pleasing unto the Lord. Let me see your hand. God bless you. A number of hands, a number of hands have gone up. I choose to abandon the bad things that I've done and I want to walk in faith and I want to walk in, a, in, in the light of the gospel. I want to walk pleasing unto the Lord. I'm going to pray God will give you the strength to do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, you saw every hand, probably 10 or 12 hands that has gone up that says, I want to abandon an evil way. I want to turn away from wickedness because I have learned that a prayer years ago isn't going to fix it in the end. It's not how I started, but it's how I end up. So I'm asking you, Lord, right now to touch every man, woman, boy, and girl, everyone that raised their hand, Lord, that says, I need you, Lord. I want to abandon wicked ways. I want to abandon what I've done, and I want to turn to you. So, Lord, I've raised my hand. And the Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Lord, with my heart, I believe, and with my mouth, I confess that I'm going to be a brand new man, a brand new woman, and I'm going to live in such a way that I can stand before the judgment seat of Christ without any worry and without any doubt and say, Lord, this is how I've lived. I've looked for your coming. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for those who have prayed that prayer. You may be seated if you can. At this time, our host is coming. He's going to share some important announcements with you. And let me say what a wonderful looking people you are today. God bless you. We love you. And we will see you on Wednesday.